going to look at the Bible together um, this morning. So um, if you can be turning, if you have a Bible, turning, not many people turn anymore, do they? If you can be dialing um, to Mark um, chapter 10, if you're old-fashioned like me and your Tunde, um, you can turn in your paper Bibles. Mark chapter uh, 10. Um, just while you're turning there, um, I had an idea this morning. Um, you know how quite often, you know, if we're really honest, it's a little bit empty at half past ten. Um, by the way, uh, for those of you that don't know, half past ten is the time that we start. Um, <laughs> um, I just had this kind of like brainwave. Like, what if we all managed to convince ourselves that church started at 10.15? Like, if you could just like tell yourself now, church starts at 10.15... And this, this is why I thought that would be really cool, because actually, most of our visitors come early, okay? Because they haven't learned yet that King's Church doesn't come on time. <laughs> so most of our visitors come early. So if you could, you know, you wouldn't just be kidding yourself for coming at 10.15 for no reason. You could be thinking, I get to meet new visitors, make them feel welcome, get to help out if there's anything last minute they need doing. So just a thought, come at 10.15, we could all be ready to go at 10.30 and it'd make a difference. Anyway, it's not really the subject of my message. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read a passage from verse 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. We've got this young man, he runs up to Jesus and he wants to know, what have I got to do to have eternal life? Because eternal life, although it can sound like the stuff of fairy tales, we believe is actually real. That eternal life is a real thing. That there is such a thing as eternity. There is such a thing as um, life beyond this world. And that this world that we live in is only temporal, but actually God's plans and purposes are eternal. Um, and so this young man runs up to Jesus and he's like, I want to be part of eternal life. I want to enter into eternal life. So what do I have to do? It's a great question, isn't it? Maybe there could be people amongst us this morning that that's your question. What do I have to do to be part of this um, eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. There's a clue there, by the way. Jesus is saying that he is God. Only God is good. He's not saying I'm not good. He's saying that God is good. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, you need to understand the context here. Jesus is talking to a young Jewish man. And so Jesus, who is a Jew, immediately points this Jewish man back to the commandments because that's all that God's people know at this point. Jesus hasn't died and risen from the dead yet. He hasn't yet paid the price for all of our sins. And the Bible will teach us and help us to understand that actually all of these old commandments are fulfilled in Jesus. 
That all of God's law is fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus says it's summed up best as loving God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and loving your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus kind of helps bring that into a whole new way of living in relationship with God. But right now he points this young Jewish man back to these commandments that the Jewish people have grown up with. And this young man says this, he says, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I mean, the reality is, probably hasn't quite kept them all since he was a boy. But Jesus looks at him and he sees his heart and he loves him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. You can imagine that was just like this incredible moment because Jesus, you know, this, this young man, he, he feels he's kept all the commandments, he's done all that he needs to do, and Jesus looks at him and he looks straight into his heart. You see, Jesus has a habit of doing that with all of us, doesn't he? He knows the issues he knows the heart issue, the root issue inside each and every one of us. He knows what's holding us back from giving ourselves wholeheartedly to following him. So he looks at him and he says, this is what you need to do. You need to be able to sell your possessions. And this, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, he wasn't sad because he was rich, surely. Yeah, he wasn't, oh, no, I'm rich. He was sad because of what Jesus required of him. He was sad because he was wealthy and he didn't feel he could do what Jesus had asked him to do. And interestingly, Jesus lets him walk away. He says, this is what you need to do. You need to give everything. You need to abandon everything. You need to give your whole self to following me. And this Young man goes away sad. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And of course he's not saying that because he doesn't like rich people. He's saying that because he knows how hard it is the more you have to give up what you have. He knows how hard it is the more material comfort and possessions we have, how hard it is not to let those things creep in and become more important to us than God. He knows how easily we're tempted to find our security in material things rather than in our relationship with God alone. He's talking here about priorities. He's talking about devotion. Of course, Jesus is famous for saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. To enter into God's rule and reign. He's not just talking about heaven. He's talking about living in that place, in that reality where God rules and reigns. A total reality that will one day be established when Jesus comes again, as we've been talking about this morning. But a reality that can begin for us here and now, 
where we enter into that place where Jesus is our Lord, where he's in charge, where he rules over everything in our lives. And he's saying it's hard if you've got loads, if you're comfortable, if everything around you is easy, it's actually quite hard to live for the kingdom of God, where God rules over everything. You see, for people in abject poverty, their lives are so hard that life on earth is harder for them, but maybe Jesus is acknowledging that turning towards God and trusting him is slightly easier because you've got nothing else. You've got nothing else to rely on. You've got no other hope. When you realize that your situation is desperate, it's easier to say, I need to look outside of myself to hope and trust for my future. But when you feel comfortable, when you feel you've got the resources, or when you feel you can make things happen on your own, it becomes easier and easier. The wealthier you get, the more comfortable you get, the easier your life is. It becomes easier not to have to rely on faith and trust in God. The disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, well, who then can be saved? What hope is there for any of us then? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And so, praise God, we do see rich people coming into the kingdom because God is able to turn our hearts towards him. Verse 28, then Peter stood up, spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. We've done it, Jesus. We've left everything behind. We're following you. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Peter is worried, what about us? We've, we've left everything. We have abandoned everything. We're following you. And we love what Jesus says in reply. We love that response. Don't worry, Peter. Whatever you've given up, whatever you've sown, you're going to reap a hundredfold. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and in the age to come, eternal life. Except, I did not read that verse entirely accurately. I don't know if you were following along, but this is why you should always read your Bible when the preacher's preaching. Because I missed out something really important when I read that verse the second time. Along with persecutions. Along with persecutions. What kind of promise is that? God will reward the sacrifices we make for him and for his gospel. It's true. He will. We don't always get to choose exactly what that reward looks like. I'm not a fan of the doctrine that says, you know, if I sew a watch, I'll reap ten watches. Um, 
I think if I sow into the kingdom, I will reap a kingdom harvest. And nothing is supposed to thrill me more as a child of God if that kingdom harvest looks like 10 new people coming to Christ. Or if that kingdom harvest looks like um, justice for the poor and the marginalized in society. But we will reap blessings, and we do reap materially. God does bless us and provide for us, and he meets all of our needs. Jesus says that, you know, if we will seek first the kingdom, that all of our needs will be taken care of, and that he will bless us in abundance um, throughout our lives. God will reward the sacrifices you make for him. But at the same time, you will also be persecuted. If you live a radical, sacrificial life for Jesus, you will attract persecution. Seems to be what Jesus is saying here. And when we read the stories of the New Testament church, we discover that persecution was part of the deal of following Jesus. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10 to 13, we read this. Paul says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, we can find this difficult to relate to, um, living in a country where mostly we enjoy um, religious freedom. We may feel that sometimes we're ridiculed for our faith, we may feel marginalized by the way Christians are portrayed in the media or um, that some of our convictions are becoming um, socially unacceptable, but we don't suffer anything like the kind of persecution that still goes on in some parts of our world. And some of you here today are from nations or have family in nations where our Christian brothers and sisters right now are being actively persecuted. Just three days ago, um, I received a message. It was, it was passed on to me from someone else, um, from a church leader in Pakistan, asking us to pray for him and his family who were in fear for their lives, currently in hiding, trying to get out of the country. And then on um, Friday evening, I was in a Zoom meeting where, again, uh, a brother from India shared about the persecution that they were facing, active persecution against churches in his part of India. Uh, there's an organization called Open Doors. Um, some of you may have heard of it. They pu publish what they call a, a watch list, a world watch list. They publish it each year, and they give a list of countries where persecution is actively going on. Um, they, um, I'm going to show you a video in a moment, and that's going to um, tell us about the top ten countries where persecution is being experienced. I want to add into that India because it's actually number 11 and they categorize persecution on their website as severe or um, 
I can't remember what the next one was called, but it's slightly less than severe. And there are 11 that are severe. So you're going to see 10 of them and then add India onto that list. So let's just watch this video. What would you dare to do for Jesus? Would you defy dictators, worship in secret, sacrifice your safety? Over 360 million Christians around the world face persecution and discrimination every day. And these are the top 10 countries where Christians risk everything for Christ. Number 10, Sudan. Unrest in Sudan has increased following a military coup. Violence and pressure against Christians have worsened. And number nine, Afghanistan. Following the Taliban takeover, those Christians who have not fled the country have been forced deep underground. If discovered, they face death. Iran is at number eight. Iranian house churches are seen as a threat by the Islamist regime. Church members who are caught are given long prison sentences. Number seven, Pakistan. Pakistan's infamous blasphemy laws are often used to target believers. Christian women and girls are vulnerable to kidnap and forced marriage. Nigeria is at number six. More Christians are killed in Nigeria than all the other countries of the world combined. And the violence is getting worse. Number five, Libya. In this lawless land, both native and migrant Christians are targeted, kidnapped, and even killed. And number four is Eritrea. Christians who dare to meet without official permission risk arrest. Over a thousand believers are in jail without charge. Yemen is number three on the list. The humanitarian crisis continues. Anyone suspected of being a Christian will be deliberately overlooked for aid and might be expelled or killed by their own tribe. Number two is Somalia. Islamic militants are intensifying their hunt for Christians and violent attacks are increasing. And at number one, North Korea, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Spies are everywhere. Discovery means death, either by execution or by being worked to death in a labor camp. Despite the danger, in all these countries, the church is not defeated. It is living powerful, defiant, and for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with this church. Where Christians risk persecution, our underground networks support millions of believers with emergency food and aid, spiritual care, smuggled Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. And where Christians enjoy freedom, we work with local churches to raise prayer and support and to speak truth to those in power. Every day around the world, Christians risk everything to follow Christ. Will you dare to stand with them?
just before we carry on, I wonder if we could take a moment to pray um, together. And what I'd like to ask is that if you, um, and I realize um, with our particular congregation that this will include many of you, um, but if you are from or have family in um, one of the nations that just got mentioned um, in the video, if you would just stand for us for a moment. Now, obviously, that's not to say there isn't persecution going on in other places as well. And if you want to find out more, you can visit opendoorsuk.org um, and find out a lot more information about what's going on. Um, but I'd love us to use the people who are stood, if you're comfortable with that, as a point of contact um, as we pray for the persecuted church right now. So maybe um, if you're sat um, around, I mean, all of us are sat near someone who stood right now. So maybe we could just gather around these people. We're all going to be praying together as a family, but if you feel comfortable and want to just lay hands on these people and use them as a point of contact for praying for these nations. But let's pray for all of those 10 nations that got mentioned, as well as India, and for the persecuted church in general. Let's pray for God's provision, protection, courage, um, and, and just for his church continue to flourish in, in the most challenging of circumstances, um, where right now, around the world, um, every one of our brothers and sisters who meets in any kind of way today, whether it looks nothing like this and is just hiding away in some underground church location, um, let's pray for them. Let's stand with them as their brothers and sisters right now. So maybe we could all just stand to our feet if we're able, gather around these people, um, use them as a point of contact, and we'll just spend a couple of minutes um, praying um, in groups um, for the persecuted church. Father, we pray for your church around the world right now. We stand in unity with every brother and sister in Christ. Wherever they may be right now, Lord God, you see them. You know them. You love them. Lord, we pray for their protection. We pray for their strengthening and encouragement. Amen. We thank you for their incredible witness, their incredible example and provocation to us in how sacrificially they hold on to their faith at risk to their own lives and livelihoods. So we pray for them that you would bless them, Amen. you'd strengthen them and protect them. Amen. You would give them courage, Lord God, and cause them even in the midst of such terrible opposition, to continue to shine brightly for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's take our seats. Like I say, um, you can find out a lot more than I'm able to tell you in the time we have this morning if you want to visit um, opendoorsuk.org. But it is so easy to forget that persecution is a normal part of following Jesus. And so what we experience is actually abnormal. It's easy to forget about it because we don't experience it, but our experience is, is not the norm. The norm is that persecution will happen because Jesus said that. Jesus said that is part of following Jesus. That's part of living a sacrificial life, of giving up everything, living with a hope of eternity. But in the last few moments that we have, I guess I want to ask, well, what do we do? Having seen something like that, having been reminded of that reality, well, what do we do in response? How should we respond? Well, firstly, we need to pray. We really do need to be praying regularly um, for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the persecuted church. 
And maybe that's something we don't remind ourselves of often enough. But let's make a decision, let's make a commitment as a people that we will keep reminding ourselves to pray. In our connect groups, um, in our prayer meetings, in our gatherings, to remember the church that lives in all kinds of different places in the world where their existence is so much harder than ours. And let us commit to praying regularly for the persecuted church. And as I say, you can find out information. Um, Open Doors is not the only organization. It was the one that I chose to feature this morning. But there's lots of information available about the persecuted church that can help you in your praying. Secondly, um, we can give. Um, We'll consider, um, I, I hope that we will be able to consider as leaders whether we're able to do anything from our funds together as a church. But I want to invite you as well, if you want to give directly, if you want to if you're moved, if you feel stirred by the Holy Spirit, and you want to give something that could be used to support Christians. Um, for example, you know, there are open doors and other organizations do activities where through underground partners, obviously they can't give loads of details online about what they're doing, but they, where, for example, properties, homes are burned down or properties are confiscated from Christians, they will go in and offer support and aid in those situations, often in settings where, as we saw a little glimpse of on the video, um, aid is denied to people because they're Christians. And so they will go in um, to meet those needs. So if you feel stirred and you want to give, again, just go on the website and there's lots of information. Um, And if you can't remember the web address, just Google Open Doors. Um, But thirdly, I want to encourage us to be provoked. To be provoked by the example and the testimony and the witness of those brothers and sisters who could just have an easier life if they would just follow the dominant religion in their culture and society. If they would just go with the political norm or the social norm or the religious norm in their country, they would materially have a much better life. And it kind of makes me ask myself the question, well, what am I willing to suffer for? What would I be willing to die for. And when I put it like that, to be really honest with you, whether we sing happy, clappy, charismatic songs or traditional hymns is not something I'd really give my life for. I mean, if you said church has to be, you know, you can't, you can't have church like King's Church. You have to go to a much more traditional church service every Sunday or we'll kill you. I'll probably go along with going to a more traditional church service. There are certain things that sometimes we think are important that really aren't. But what is important enough to you? What is it about Jesus? What is it about your faith in him? What is it about the gospel that you could be prepared to suffer for? That if someone said, we need you to renounce this truth, we need you to renounce this hope that you've got, this faith that you've got, would you be willing to say, no, I cannot? even at the risk of my livelihood, my property, even at the risk of my life, I cannot renounce that truth because my hope is built on nothing else. And if you take that away from me, I have nothing. The rich young ruler went away sad because what Jesus was asking was too much of him. What will we give our lives for? What will we suffer for? What is so important to us that we will not compromise on that truth 
Lots of things that we go around making important that we argue with other Christians about probably aren't worth dying for. But Jesus, the truth of who he is, the promise he's made us of eternal life, being washed in his blood, as we've talked about this morning, being made righteous, that I would enter into eternal life and stand faultless before the throne of God above. That he calls me, that truth, and the proclamation of that truth, and the witness to that truth, he calls me to be willing to not only sell everything for, not only to abandon everything for, but even to be willing to lay down my life for. And there are brothers and sisters of ours who are doing that right now all over the world. And so I pray that we, myself included, would be provoked by their example because we don't experience it. And we don't live, and most of us here don't live like that on a day-to-day basis. But our brothers and sisters are living like that. And their testimony should be a provocation to us. How important is the truth about Jesus and the gospel? So please, let's keep praying. Let's consider giving. But most of all, or not most of all, but in addition to that, let's be provoked by the example of our brothers and sisters as we continue to pray and give to them. Amen. Amen.